This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Joining us now to uh, talk about the Nuggets big win and what may be next, of course, is our resident expert on such things at Mile High Sports, Ryan Blackburn. You can follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn and, of course, on the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, which you can now also find on YouTube, which uh, you really should check it out. It, it's terrific. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us. I, I started the show about an hour ago saying this was not only the best Nuggets game of the year, but the best played Nuggets game of multiple years. Uh, am I being maybe a little overzealous in my praise? Well, no, I don't think they've had a lot of pressure over the course of the, the previous yeah. two years to really to put on this pedestal. But mm-hmm. look, this is what this is all about, right? When you're when you're facing adversity, when when you've lost a couple games on the road in games three and four, how do you handle it? How do you respond? And, and I thought the Nuggets responded in exactly the way that uh, some of us expected them to, but especially playing at home they've been dominant they've been dominant all season they've proven all season that they deserve our respect and deserve our uh our belief and, and i think that they they stepped up to the table in a big way i was saying yesterday and I wasn't quite right on this that they hadn't been in this particular situation before with the series playing out uh, as a home court series for the first four games actually against portland two years ago that's exactly what happened they were up 2-0 they won the first two games at home and they lost to in Portland, and the fifth game was a nail-biter, double overtime game, one of the great games you ever see, especially if you like offensive basketball. The Nuggets won 147-140 to 140 in double overtime. That game could have gone either way. Why, in your opinion, was last night, at least for three of the four quarters, so one-sided in Denver's favor? I think the Nuggets have a different mentality about them this year. Uh, they, they have a different level of belief in, in the process this year than they did in, even in 2021 when you, you, you knew Jamal Murray was down. Uh, he, he wasn't coming back to save anybody. There was a lot of uncertainty about what Michael Porter Jr.'s actual role was. Uh, they were starting Faku Campazzo and Austin Rivers in that series. Andy, you know that. Like, it, it's, it's a little bit unsettled <laughs> when – they they yeah. have a they have a formula this year and and I I thought it was surprising that Michael Malone stuck with the same rotation that he did from uh, basically every game in this series every game in these playoffs he's gone with Bruce Brown Christian Brown Jeff Green off the bench and he had talked about maybe changing things up but everything was on the table decided not to go that direction and and I think part of it is because this team knows who they are. And they understand who they are in, in, in perfect harmony at this point. And it, it seems like they have more confidence in that vision even than they did back in 2021. I do believe, and of course we'll never know for sure, I believe he was willing to do those things if he had had to last night. But sure. he didn't really have to. And I understand when they first subbed them in that they went into a drought offensively that lasted virtually the entire second quarter. But my point is that their defense didn't suffer. And Phoenix's chance to win the game, I thought, was missed in the second quarter because the Nuggets still, as bad as their offense was, what were they, 3 for 18 from the field, at least at one point during the second quarter, their defense was excellent. And that was due to the play of Brown and Brown primarily, coming off the bench. No, they at least 
Christian Brown wasn't giving them a lot of offense. Jeff Green wasn't giving them a lot of offense. But all three were at least respectable on the defensive end, so he didn't have to deviate. But I think the willingness to do it was there. And I want to ask you specifically about the five-point plan that he seemed to lay out uh, in which the Nuggets were able to check uh, by the time the game was over, all five boxes emphatically. Transition D, slowing Booker down, uh, better bench play, uh, unleashing Michael Porter Jr., and knocking down open threes. Uh, even when they weren't open, the Nuggets were knocking down the threes last night. So check by all five boxes. They they checked every box. That's, that's the most important thing with this is that uh, this was probably the most complete game that they've had in the playoffs. Just understanding, hey, that other team is going to make runs. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are awesome. They are. They they've gained my respect in this series for sure. Uh, but what the Nuggets did at the very beginning of this game was they decided to pressure Devin Booker full court. They decided they were going to try to make it as hard on him as they possibly could. Put as much pressure on him physically. Uh, defensively, everything unrelated to scoring, they're going to try to make him work at least a little bit. And, and I think it wore him down a little bit. I think the Nuggets kind of beat, beat and battered him a little bit. And that was a, a great point that, that they decided to put on. Uh, the Michael Porter Jr. point is also very interesting. He got this team going for sure. Uh, Jamal really struggled in that first half. Nicola even missed some shots that, that he probably should have made. Uh, but Michael Porter stepping up in a big way and then having the maturity to understand and to be able to pick and pick and know what his spots are going to be. Cause sometimes you don't know, sometimes you don't know what it's going to look like throughout the, the part the process of the game. And he picked that spot, knew exactly when he had to step up and he did not miss uh, just a, a really mature win from the nuggets, being able to complete it as holistically as they did. And Michael Porter jr. Is a part of that too, on both ends of the floor. You know, that's an interesting way to put it holistically because it's a good description. One of the things we've talked about before is when the Nuggets offense, and it was last night, when it sort of happens, Sandy used the term, or organically, when it happens just within the flow of the game, the Nuggets are more dangerous and they are better. But the other part of it, I think, that, that we saw is that having it work that way keeps Porter Jr. and to a lesser extent, uh, Aaron Gordon moving without the ball. And I, I think we saw from both of those players a little bit less of that in the two losses in Phoenix where it devolved more into a two-man game. Now, going back towards game six, uh, the Nuggets on the road tend to go in that little shell, and a lot of that, I think, actually tends to to be with Jamal Murray and the way he, just the way he functions and approaches the game. How do they avoid doing that? Is there something where Michael Malone can just point to them and say, hey, you know what? They didn't stop us doing this last time. Let's just do it again until they do. Or does he try to push another button? Oh, it's interesting. It's hard for me to tell sometimes because the numbers offensively that the Nuggets put up in game four uh, with Jamal taking a lot of shots, with Joker taking a lot of shots, they were still incredible. It's just the, the Suns were even more incredible on the defense on, on the other end of the floor where, where Denver really struggled defensively. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's one singular answer here. I, I think the game could evolve in a, in a number of ways where let's say the Suns, because Josh Okoge has really struggled in this series, let's say they decide to start Landry Shamit and 
Jamal tries to take advantage of that matchup. I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. I, I think that he can take advantage of it. But one thing that we did see at the beginning of this last game, is, as you guys noted, is that Denver's entire process looked better, even if the offensive numbers looked worse. I wonder if the offense being healthier and, and moving and the ball moving a little bit better, if that helped their defense out just a little bit, oh, or, if sure. just wishful, or if that's just wishful thinking on my part. I don't really know. I, I don't really know. I think that Denver could probably take elements from both of those games and say, hey, we know that Jamal and Joker are probably going to take the majority of the shots again, but there are times to get MPJ involved a little bit more, get the ball moving a little bit better, play a little bit faster, and, and that could help them out on, on both ends of the floor. Well, the old saying is if you reward the big guys, and then they run. And then they run. Yeah, they'll run all night for you, but you, you have sure. to feed them a little bit, uh, especially early, uh, to get them going. You think Chris Paul plays Thursday night? What's your opinion on that? Well, it's a good question. I, I think he's going to try. He said to Tim, Tim McMahon of ESPN last night that he was going to try to play. Uh, but here's, here's the problem with groin strength and hamstring strength and things like that. They always take longer to heal than you think they do. And they're easily and, and aggravated. Absolutely. And and I, I just have to imagine that the version of the, the groin strain that Chris Paul actually suffered, it's probably a bit more serious than has being let on. Publicly. I think so, too. And he's a tough guy. We all, we all know that. And I've been told it's a four- to six-week injury that he's giving any consideration to trying it out after 10 days is – is remarkable, but I can you imagine him being effective over, let's say, thirty to thirty-five minutes? Because I can't. I I can't either, especially with the way that the Suns are wanting to play at the pace that they are. That's the one thing that really stands out in games three and four is that they played so much faster without Chris Paul out there. They played an up and down style where campaign is running the ball up the court. Devin Booker is blitzing the Nuggets in transition. They're doing everything they can to put the Nuggets on their heels. And that's the one thing that if you're Chris Paul, on top of already being a traditionally slow player, he's got a groin strain. Like, is he really getting up and down the court, back and forth all the time for 30-plus minutes a night? I don't know. I, 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 I find it very difficult to believe, but he's Chris Paul. He's a legendary point guard for a reason. You can't count them out until he's already out. And, and it just sucks. Like, I, I would like to see the Nuggets be able to beat that Suns team at full strength, but they honestly have played a little bit better without Chris Paul anyway. So so maybe this is the best version of them that Denver's still going to get. And, and that's intriguing because we, we did see some fatigue on the part of both Booker and Durant last night. And maybe slowing it down actually would help them even though I, I agree, and I, I think all three of us agree, that the, the Suns have been vastly better playing at the pace they can play without Chris Paul on the floor. That said, if Durant and Booker can no longer play at that pace, and they both had to play 40-plus minutes last night too, maybe it makes sense to try something different. But again, sort of reinventing the wheel with two tired guys, a hurt guy, and a pace that doesn't particularly match well against the Nuggets, uh, that still seems like it fits in the Nuggets' favor. Is there any vision, thing you can envision besides just being at home, that you look at game six and go, this is to the Suns' advantage? It, it wouldn't surprise me if they change up their starting group. I mentioned uh, I mentioned Landry Shamit. He may start in game six. They also may bench Cameron Payne 
and decide to instead start a guy like TJ Warren. Uh, but also, there's there's one other element to this that we really haven't mentioned. DeAndre Ayton has been completely flummoxed and absolutely embarrassed at times by Nikola Jokic in this series. And the Suns are playing better basketball when Jock Landell, their backup center, is out there more consistently. So I don't think that they benched DeAndre Ayton to begin that game six. Oh, no. no. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if you look up at the box score at the end of the game and Jock Landell has played 32 minutes and DeAndre Ayton has played 16. Wow. That's a complete reversal than from what we saw last night when it was 32-16 for Aiden. I actually thought, and he certainly got dominated last night, but I thought last night in many ways was the best you can expect Aiden to be if you're on the sun side of things uh, with a 14-9-1 and and a couple of steals and a block and just one turnover. I know he's still minus 21 for 32 minutes, but they were all in big minus territory. Durant was minus 19. Booker was minus 19. Uh, Payne, who only played 31 minutes, is minus 10. Uh, but you're right. I, I, I am in complete agreement with you on uh, uh, a What? Why start him? It, you were playing him more than eight minutes a game off the bench. You start him, he plays eight minutes last night. <laughs> I, what I would do if I were them is take a guy who averaged over 12 points a game against the Clippers and put him back into the starting lineup, and uh, that would be old friend Tory Craig. If I were them, and looking Tory, to replace Sokoji, which I think is inevitable, I think they're definitely going to do that. But I'd put yeah, I'd put like, Tory Craig in and leave the bench alone, especially for a game in Phoenix where they were pretty good in the two games there earlier in the series. It's fascinating because one of the things that the Nuggets have done in this series is they've they've said, hey. If Torrey Craig and Josh Okogie, if they beat us from three, that's fine. We're not going to guard them, and instead we're going to let them go. We're going to force the Suns to pass to them and say, yeah, this is where you have to beat us. And it's one of the reasons why Denver played Okogie off the floor. Now, I do think that Craig is a better shooter. He's he's somebody who has a little bit more. I think Craig's just a better player. Situations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think he is a better player for sure. And 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 if you if you want to go down with the ship, you probably should play your best players. Craig has been basically out of the the rotation right. for much of this series. Oh, yeah, and, almost all of it. Yeah, it's just fascinating to see how that has evolved and and how Monty Williams is is really grasping at straws here, trying to come up with the right solution. Maybe he does come back around to Craig, uh, but if 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 that's the direction that they're going, then that's that's plan D for them at this point because oh, they've yeah. gone through plans A, B, and C. Yeah, want to want to step back, and we've asked you about this before, but this series, and and uh, to a lesser extent in, in Minnesota, though I think the competition was very different. Uh, Michael Malone, in a couple games now, has basically pushed all the right buttons. Uh, the road games, not so much. Certainly, in two of the three home games, if not all three home games. He's actually been really good across the board. And I think given the fact that the team could have felt wobbly coming into this game, although confident at home, I've been pretty impressed with the way he's coached this series for the most part. Is it unusual that you've seen, because I, I, I think it is, to see a coach this far into his career continue to evolve in such immediately notable ways? And, and is that, if it's happening, is it because of the pressure on Malone, the fact that he's uh, under 500 as a head coach and understands that he has to be better. 
it is interesting because I do think that experience is the best teacher here. Um, he has had a lot of playoff series now under his belt. He understands the ebbs and flows of this thing and understanding this team uh, to the level that he does. Like he's been around, the, he's been around with this group. This group knows exactly what they're going to get from Michael Malone. And, and Michael Malone knows exactly what he's going to get from Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. Who, he deserves like Michael. Michael Malone deserves a lot of credit for helping turn Michael Porter into a two-way player because him being on the court and being as effective as he has been defensively has also been. It's it's a great step for for both of those guys and their relationship together. Uh, but I do think that he's been he's been operating with two hands tied behind his back in the previous two years, and, and going back to the bubble, he pushed a lot of the right buttons did get down early on in, in multiple of those series and and ultimately lost in the in the Western Conference Finals to this Lakers team. But I do think that he's learned so much. And applying that and being willing to adapt is important. But also, Malone has talked about his convictions, and he's talked about trying to understand, like, let's say, let's say it's after a, a bad loss. Is it because the plan was bad or is it because the execution of the plan was bad he's had to talk about that he's gone through that and the fact that he didn't change up the rotation last night I think it says that look the players didn't execute the plan in games three and four I think the plan was good and and they just needed to be a little bit more physical a little bit more on on tune with what was actually going to happen I think Michael Malone's coached a great playoff he knows this team inside and out knows exactly what buttons to press, and, and I think it gives Denver a major advantage going forward. That is Ryan Blackburn, the lead Nuggets analyst for Mile High Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn. Check out all the work at MileHighSports.com and the Pickaxe and Roll podcast there, or you can find it just as easily on YouTube. Make sure you check it out, the best and most detailed one around the Nuggets that you will find in Colorado. Appreciate the time, Ryan, as always. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Sean. All right, Ryan Blackburn joining us there, and it, it, it is interesting to look at the evolution of Michael Malone. And and you and I have been critical for some time about Michael Malone. And while positive about the things he does bring, concerned about the fact that when it comes to in between the whistles, at times he has been found lacking against his opponent. I think it's three rounds to two in this case, in this particular fight with his colleague over in Monty Williams. Yeah. I, I think so, too, and, and certainly could argue, listen, uh, Monty Williams has had to operate without uh, a Hall of Fame point guard for most of this series. But, uh, again, I think that in a somewhat odd way worked to the advantage of the Suns in games three and four anyway, and I thought he was good in the way he used his bench uh, in those games. Uh, I had no problem with Malone last night, uh, not playing people who ended up actually playing quite a bit of the fourth quarter <laughs> because the game was so one-sided. I it, because there there wasn't anything broken, and the old adage again that bench players play better at home than they do on the road it held true last night. Uh, the, it, every game in this series, uh, the the bench play has been better on the home side than it has been on the visiting side. And I don't expect that to be terribly different in the next game, although I think the three Nugget reserves, uh, particularly Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, 
needed a shot of confidence last night, and they got it. Uh, on both ends of the floor, uh, I thought Christian Brown, particularly on defense, was great. And obviously, anytime you get 25 off the bench from a reserve, I don't care how it comes, that's a major leg up that you have in that ballgame. The Nuggets will play tomorrow night in Game 6, an opportunity to move on to the Western Conference Finals. Of course, we'll stay on top of that. Thanks for, to Ryan Blackburn for joining us for that, of course. The Denver Broncos schedule will be released. That's right, Sandy. The order in which they will play the game. Can you believe it? Are you thrilled? Are you excited? Well, I, I, I was thrilled to read some uh, early leaks this morning on certain teams. Nothing on the Broncos because I guess the Broncos aren't yet consequential enough to be the subject of leaks on the schedule. Right. But uh, there, there were a few interesting items. We'll take a look at some of those, including the uh, continued effort that continues uh, apace and will eventually succeed. I'll tell you right here with the Jacksonville Jaguars and their eventual relocation to London or awfully close to it. We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. It's the biggest day in sports. The NFL schedule is about to be released. We've known who the Broncos will play for months, but now we'll know in which order. Are you not entertained, America? little sarcasm i literally don't care uh, it always cracks me up of course we've you know you and i have done this for a long time sandy and every year the schedule comes out and the very next morning almost by rote every uh local commentator has to go here's how i think the schedule will go with this game in order yeah because you know it'd obviously matter a, a lot i guess uh to some people somehow but i i can tell you because i've done these for years and actually i can also say that um, unless I'm mistaken, and I have kept track of it, over the last couple years, uh, you and I as a pair have been have had the most accurate projections in Colorado about what the Denver Broncos uh, would be. And we were off last year, as everyone was off last year, but we weren't off as bad. We weren't off and as And the badly. first two years, we had it, we had it pegged. And yeah. so I, I think that's, that's something worth noting. But I will also say that, knowing that, the prediction that I, I would make this morning... And the prediction that I'll make tomorrow morning would simply not change. Because no, I'm not no, concerned about no the order reason. in which I play the, the, the games get played. I look at the opponents that they're playing against. Yes. yes. This is not. And th- even this is there, not it's a bit of a guessing The game. NBA, yeah, and in May, it's obviously kind of silly anyway. Yeah. But, but it's, not, it's not the NBA where you could have three games in four nights. It's the NFL. You have a game a week. A couple times a year, you might have one fewer day. A game a week. Fatigue is not a factor for any NFL team. That is why the schedule is the way it is. Now, are they playing more international games? Yes. Is that travel annoying? Yes. Those teams also get more time. Unless Jacksonville, which then spends two weeks in London as its continued migration to London uh, uh, under owner Shad Khan, who's made it abundantly clear, openly said it flat out loud, would very much like to move his team to London, and the NFL seems like they're willing to do as much of that as possible without fully committing to it, at least until they can get enough spots in Munich and... Uh, other spots around 
Western Europe that they could eventually maybe put a couple teams for their own division, which, make no mistake, is exactly what the NFL plans to do in the longer term. But it changes nothing for me when the Broncos will play. It is a curiosity. Will they have a, a couple of primetime games? Well, we'll know they'll have a Thursday night because everybody gets Thursday night. Uh, will they end up with a Monday night? Eh, maybe, because Monday night isn't the marquee project it was before, and maybe you right. can get some fun of uh, Russell Wilson versus somebody or or Sean Payton versus somebody. Who knows? But, no, the Broncos, you hit it on the head if we went to break, Sandy. The Broncos are not consequential enough to garner a lot of attention. So you can expect it to be a, a pretty mundane, typical schedule where, yep, one home, one road against each of your division opponents. And then, obviously, that, that's the funny part of the NFL schedule year, too, because you rotate between a, a conference division every year, right? So that's four games. You rotate between an opposing conference's division every year. That's four more games. So there's there's eight. You play six against your own division, home and away. There's 14. Now there's 17 games. At any point in the year, no matter what your result, your your schedule is what three other teams are we playing? That's it. And in the Broncos' case, um, well, there'll be kind of teams that were bad last year, like the Broncos. So uh, t- to me, it ends up being a little a little silly. You know, the, the NFL give give them credit because nobody does a better job of making everything NFL news. I mean, the the combine was nothing. And then NFL Network turned it into to something. Our our, our our friend Nate Lundy here at My Life Sports correctly years ago referred to it as the Underwear Olympics, which is exactly what well, it that's is. That's what John Fox called Right. And, uh, the Underwear it, Olympics. There's nothing to it. But for the Broncos, there are a couple of moves that are interesting that are worth noting. Uh, one of them is the fact that after the addition of Kareem Jackson yesterday, and, and we talked about that a little bit, talked about how I believe Caden Stearns was likely to be the starter and this would be a different situation. Well, uh, Yes, it seems that that is probably the case, except we'll have to find out how healthy Caden Stern is because he had right. hip surgery That's right. in the offseason and, according to uh, 90s reporter Mike Kliss, may not be ready for the start of training camp. So yes. bringing in Jackson and let him know that... At least as insurance. Will you? Insurance. We, we know you know. We know you know what you're doing. You're, you're a hedge. But, yes, the plan is, as I suspected, that Caden Stern is going to get the shot to start as long as he's healthy enough to do it. That's the guy they'd like to see if he can take the job. But for the Broncos now, given that the offseason is for the most part over, uh, they did waive outside linebacker Jake Martin today, saving about $3.8 million on the cap. And as you said during the break, Jake Martin could walk into the studio. He'd have to introduce himself. And and he had a $4.2 million contract. So these are the kind of things that obviously you having to do uh, <laughs> these off-season situations where you're freeing up some cap money. And what will they do with some of it? You know, I don't know if we we know yet, but there are still some veterans in that, you know, whatever wave we want to call it, sixth wave, seventh wave of free agency now that teams are done with the draft, teams are done with free agency. Now they're looking to maybe uh, move a couple bucks around to take somebody that, that a veteran that's still hanging out there that might fit in a position of need. Uh a lot of the folks around Denver seem to believe that that would be a running back. Does that make sense to you for the for the Broncos to free up money and go sign a veteran running back? Depends on the veteran running back. Uh, as a talent, Kareem Hunt is intriguing. 
Obviously, and some... they have apparently had some conversations with Kareem Hunt about coming here. And there was a time that Kareem Hunt, I believe his rookie year, as a matter of fact, led the NFL in rushing yards. Right. Ended up in Cleveland. And, and the situation was so odious that the Chiefs who had that player just had to get him out. Yes. They had Tyreek Hill at the time, too. So that it was a little too much odor. This is a way to put Unpleasant it. Unpleasant odor. Now, I, it's probably Flowing fair to, the fair to say that, you know. I one was dispatched, and the other eventually was moved on. And you'll so. notice it didn't seem to hurt the Chiefs no. to move on from no. either one of no, them. No, it didn't. Which is, uh, which is interesting. But that's some of that also is a structure that the Chiefs have that the Broncos are trying to develop. A, 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 a culture, a understanding of how they want to run their team, the kind of talent that can be plugged in. And in Hunt's case, you know, that there is videotape of violence uh, against women, even though it was not charged with uh, right. crime and it was investigated as a misdemeanor and the victim did not properly take the case to court. But there's videotape of it. Um, he was placed on the exempt list after signing with Cleveland back in 2019. I, I get it from a talent perspective. But this is where I wonder, we're going to find out a little bit about how Sean Payton intends to run the Denver Broncos. Sometimes when you have a team with a winning culture, and, and say what you about the Patriots during their peak, but they had taken a couple players that had had some issues over time too, but uh, Bill Belichick had made it clear, you, know, you come in and you do things our way, and I don't do a three strikes and you're out. I do a one strike and you're out. So one, you better agree to do it our way or don't bother calling back. And two, no wiggle room. Now, not every team handles it that way. That's because they have the winning culture. The Broncos don't have a winning culture they can do that with. You know what they need is they need talent. But at what cost? Can you create a winning culture with talented players who may end up being problematic? And I don't know. And you know how we can find out problematic it is right now? You don't have to look much further than the nebulous nature of what's happening with the Colorado Avalanche right now. The loss of Larry Nachushkin under, let's just say, suspicious circumstances at bare minimum, arguably Knocked them out of the playoffs. And that was a talented team with a winning culture. Certainly gonna, gave them a shove. We are going to learn about how Sean Payton intends to run this team. Sure. And a, a signing of Kareem Hunt, I think, would make a very significant statement. Well, what kind of statement it would make? I'm not sure. Sean Payton has talked about total buy-in. He has that in common with Deion Sanders. Total buy-in. Um, we practice a certain way. We meet in a certain way. And it's not for everybody. Don't like that it. was Sean Payton's quote. Here's the door. Yeah. Well, he didn't say that, but that's the implication, yeah. of course. And Dion basically did. <laughs> that's what Dion did. Yeah. A very a lot more explicitly mm-hmm. than Sean Payton did. Uh, we'll see what seemingly unlimited change can bring about up in Boulder, but. In the NFL, you can only change so much in an offseason. And whether he can create a winning culture prior to their winning a majority of their football games is the major question. Remember, this is a team that not only hasn't made the playoffs for seven straight years, they've had six straight losing seasons. That's hard to do. And since the Broncos came into the NFL and 
had six straight years, actually seven, before they made the playoffs in 1977, even those teams won more than they lost here and there. They were 9-5 in 1976. They had a winning season, I believe, in 1973. John Ralston had a winning record as coach of the Broncos, as an NFL coach of the Broncos, coming on in 1972. He had a winning record. Yep. You can look it up. Now that's sort of taken for granted, except when you talk about the last several coaches, including Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, and, of course, Nathaniel Hackett, who not only didn't have winning records, they had losing records that could have resulted in Joseph being fired after one year mm-hmm. in a situation in which there was an owner in place. I think Vic Fangio would have been gone after two. And with Hackett, there was an owner in place, and he didn't even last a year. Sean Payton is coming in. Knowing that three previous coaches have failed and he will have time that they did not have nor deserve, but he will have time regardless of what their record is this year. Short of complete. I mean, it would have to be urban disaster. Meyer level disaster. It would have to be an urban yes. Meyer off field scandal ridden one in 15 level type of disaster. Disaster. dysfunction. Yeah. Almost impossible to envision. Yeah. It, it, it almost unimaginable. He knows he'll have time. And I think he knows how to take advantage of that situation because remember, although it hasn't been brought up very much around here, this is someone who survived Bounty Gate and most coaches would not have survived Bounty Gate. Mm -hmm. And maybe were it the 2020s, would not have. Maybe. And and that that part but, is interesting but, as well. But even what was the year? Twenty eleven, I Sounds think right. was the yeah. year he missed. Uh, even then, I I don't think it was a guarantee that he would come back. But he had built a solid record. He had won a Super Bowl. Uh, they got rid of the people who actually executed the bounties. It came on his watch, so he was responsible. And again, uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, he would have been asked early and often about Bounty Gate. But it's not the 70s and 80s here when there was a newspaper war, and certainly questions would have been asked along those lines. It is instead 2023, and virtually no questions have been asked uh, regarding Bounty Gate, even in terms of, listen, what did you change in your coaching, if anything, between pre-Bounty Gate and post-Bounty Gate? Actually, recently, point. especially, he's been fairly candid on certain subjects on which most coaches, even those who aren't that much involved in the draft, he, he's been unusually 
candid. I think that's fair. And I hope that does carry over. I think certainly he will be behind closed doors out in Dove Valley. He will not have patience for nonsense. Sean Payton in a Melvin Gordon kind of situation from last year would have had Melvin Gordon gone within 48 hours of the of his complaining on Monday night in Seattle. Yeah. I I'm inclined to agree with that. For the Broncos obviously they need wins and uh, you need wins if you have been injured and that's why you need to visit our friends at Burnham Law. Burnhamlaw.com is the website. The phone number is 720-845-7001. You need to hire the winner to get that win. And their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. When you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, no matter how you need to get that, whether that's by settlement or by trial. So don't just hire someone you see off a billboard. They have locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, the DTC, Calder Springs, and even Cheyenne. They'll fight for you. So when you are hurt and you need a winner, go hire the team that wins. That's our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. It's easy to revel in the big win by the Denver Nuggets. We might do that a little bit more because yeah, it is a lot of fun. But we also want to take a peek forward. Game six coming up tomorrow. What lessons can be taken that can be applied back when you're in the desert? We'll talk about it next in Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets get it done in spectacular fashion, as good a game as they have played in a very, very long time. And as you pointed out, uh, Michael Malone has probably not had a lot of games in which he put out five particular things that needed to be done between two games. And they hit every mark yes, against two of the elite talents in the NBA. What the Nuggets did last night was extraordinarily impressive. And hopefully it is a blueprint that they can follow. And that includes Malone. Because if the Nuggets play like this, if they involve multiple players in the early going, now for the rest of the game, the other team has to commit more defensive energy. Yep. That plays into the Nuggets' hands. It plays into Jokic's hands. True. If they can get the kind of performances from the bench, doesn't have to necessarily be 25 points like it was from Bruce Brown, but, but that kind of aggression coming off the bench, trying to make something happen because the, the Nuggets do need scoring off the bench, then you can have the occasional bad shooting night from an Aaron Gordon or even a Jamal Murray did not. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, bad night. But you, could, but you can cover for that. What the Nuggets did... When they play like that, at least in the Western Conference, we'll just set that for now because just look at the immediate things in front. They are the most diversely talented and difficult team to defend in the West when they play like they did last night. And they can beat the Suns with it. And I'll tell you what, if they played games like this, they could also beat the Lakers with it. I think the Lakers are a better defensive team. 
So pace would be even more important if they were to play the Lakers. And again, the Lakers will try to finish off the Warriors tonight in game five in San Francisco. Yes. Up three games. Both to three one. to one series tonight. Miami is a three right. one on New York. That's in, of course, uh, in, in Madison Square Gardens and the Lakers over in uh, the Bay to get the Warriors. But I think a great number of people, including commentators on network TV, assume that aggression means imposing yourself physically, and that's aggressive play. That's, no, that's not aggressive not play. Necessarily. Aggressive play is putting pressure uh, on your opponent, uh, especially at altitude, by pushing the pace, not, not beating them up, but pushing the pace. And historically, it has been said, I, I think somewhat unfairly, that the Nuggets don't succeed in the playoffs because they tend to be a team that plays a certain way, especially at altitude during the regular season, and you, quote-unquote, can't play that way uh, in the playoffs. Uh, the Nuggets had 31 fast-break points in the game last night. Phoenix had 23. Now, 23 is a pretty high number for mm-hmm. Phoenix, but 31 is a high number. Now, 17 of those 31 came in the first quarter. Zero came in the second quarter. They were a little more evenly distributed in the second half. But I thought it was very important that the Nuggets get running established early on because running would lead to motion. Uh, I like the full-court pressure that I occasionally put on Booker making it a little harder, not not really beating up on him or anything, but just making it a little more difficult. And I never felt during the competitive or semi-competitive portions of the game last night, I never felt that the Nuggets had on offense someone you could completely ignore. I thought they had five scoring threats, no matter what the combinations were. I thought they had five guys who established fairly early on in the game. No matter what the combinations were, that they could all score. And if you ignored one of them, you might not get embarrassed, but you would quite likely be scored upon. And when Christian Brown dunked over Durant and sent him stumbling away, I thought that was embarrassing. Embarrassment inflicted by the Nuggets not having anything to do with quote-unquote physicality being right. imposed on Kevin Durant. What you're doing, I guess I would liken it the term I would use, and it's, it's whatever, I get it, it's somewhat semantic. It's just playing downhill. I, I'm i going to be the one that's dictating what I do, not you. doesn't necessarily mean Late physical. great Irv Brown always used to say, in moments of pressure or even adversity, take the ball to the basket and make the official decide on what he's going to call. Yeah. And if you're the home team, you'll get that friendly whistle more often. And that is if the other team, if you haven't been doing it all game and the other team just doesn't feel like doing it anymore. Doug Moe 
always used to say. You're very rarely punished by taking the ball to the rack. Listen, NBA officiating is not always great. Certainly, oftentimes, not very good at all. However, the aggressor always has the advantage and always gets the benefit of the doubt on the 50-50 calls. The more aggressive team, it's, it's human nature as an official to take a 50-50 call and give it to the more aggressive team. Right. And penalize the more passive team. The, the only story I ever heard of that contradicted that involved Kiki Vandeway and Lonnie Shelton were coming up on our last minute here, so I won't tell the whole story, but the gist of it was that Doug was screaming at Kiki because Lonnie Shelton was beating up on him. Lonnie Shelton beat up on a lot of people. Lonnie Shelton was a big, tough guy. Kiki was a better basketball player, but was probably mismatched in certain ways against Lonnie Shelton. And Doug yelled so much at Kiki that Jake O'Donnell, the great veteran official, came over to Kiki at one point and said, the way Doug's getting on you, you can do anything you want to Lonnie Shelton, and I'm not going to call a foul on you for the rest of the game, (laughs) which Kiki in his own way proceeded to do. Well, don't know if the Nuggets are going to get quite that lucky, but the aggressiveness paid off. It was a a home game for the Nuggets, by the way. And it may pay off in Game 6. They they stand a terrific opportunity to advance the Western Conference Finals again. Uh, we'll take a look, closer look at this tomorrow. And I guess, Sandy, I, I mean, by rule, I guess we have to just go through the Broncos schedule and make predictions, I guess. We can spend like 30 seconds on that, can't we? Sure we can. Sure we can. So get psyched, everybody. Pointless May predictions coming up tomorrow. I'm sure more valuable May predictions are coming up with the uh, next program, of course, afternoon drive, because uh, Anila Piero is back. Oh, yeah. Some form or fashion, and Cody Rourke as well. So, we're going to hand things off to our friends at Afternoon Drive. Thanks so much to Ryan Blackburn for joining us. Check out the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Danny Bailey in the booth making it sound good. Spencer Pattinson in there still getting the job done on video. Thanks a lot, Spencer, this week. Going to be in there to help us so much with that. Thanks to you for listening, everyone who listened over the air and on the app, by the way. It's free, it's easy, it's crystal clear. Check it out. Free Miley Sports app, MileySports.com. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back tomorrow. But uh, Nilo and Cody are coming up next, so keep it right here on My Life Sports.